Celebrating 20 years of Planetary Radio with Bill Nye and others this week on, well, you know. This is the premiere of Planetary Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society and host of Planetary Radio. Part of the Planetary Society's mission is to explore new worlds, and you could say that's what we're doing with this new radio series. Another part of our mission is to share news and advocacy of space exploration with a world full of space enthusiasts. Whether you're hearing us live on KUCI in Orange County, California, live via the KUCI website, or on the Planetary Society's website, planetary.org, we welcome you to this experiment. We also hope you'll be with us every week as we explore the exciting potential of this series. And we think we've got a great beginning plan with today's show. We'll talk with Dr. Lewis Friedman, Executive Director, and one of the founders of the Planetary Society. Later in the half hour, you'll hear Bruce Betts, the Society's Director of Projects, tell us what's up in the sky in his regular segment called Just That, What's Up? Have you heard about the Society's contest that will allow a young person to name NASA's new Mars rovers? Bruce will have that story, too. But first, let's get underway with another of our regular features. I'll be back in just a minute. That's how it began on November 25, 2002. A very special show this week as we mark two decades of Planetary Radio and begin a third. You'll hear Planetary Society co-founder Lou Friedman, Chief Executive Officer Bill Nye, Chief Operating Officer Jennifer Vaughn, and, well, would it really be Planetary Radio without Chief Scientist Bruce Betts and What's Up? We'll forego the usual space headlines in this already long episode. You can always find the latest in our free weekly newsletter, the downlink, it and so much more, are at planetary.org. This is also the time of year when we celebrate the Planetary Society's accomplishments across the last 12 months. Sarah Alamed is ready to help us acknowledge the biggest among these. Sarah, it has been a productive year for, uh, well, for us, for our colleagues at the Planetary Society, for all of our members and donors. We're going to be telling people how they can find out a lot more about uh, some of our major accomplishments. But I know you've got a few that you uh, want to go through uh, just in a couple of minutes here today. Where, where do you want to start? Yeah, well, it has been a really exciting year. And as we approach, you know, the end of 2022, it's always good to look back on all the things that we've accomplished together. One of the major things that I'm really excited that we finally got to do this year is award our first ever STEP grants. That's our science and technology empowered by the public grant program. And this year we awarded our first two projects. So those are shaping up awesome. And we're really looking forward to seeing the outcome of those projects. We also awarded our Shoemaker Neo grants this year. And we award those grants to help advanced amateur astronomers who like to help protect Earth from asteroids so they can upgrade their technology and have better ways of tracking these objects. So we had eight winners this year from seven different countries, and already they've made huge strides in finding new near-Earth objects to protect us, which is amazing. 
And of course, the Shoemaker Neo grants have a long history of uh, benefiting amateur and even professional astronomers and terrific results that they've been able to um, achieve with, uh, with these grants, uh, these uh, little bits of assistance that uh, the Planetary Society has been able to uh, provide. Where do you want to go next? Well, next would be our day of action. This is something we do each and every year. It's our largest annual advocacy event. And it's also the largest of any independent pro-space organization in the world. And in the United States alone, we met with 161 different congressional offices to advocate for different NASA programs. And these moments have a huge impact on the funding for space missions. So if anybody wants to join us for next year's day of action, <laughs> highly encourage it because it makes a huge impact. I so look forward to uh, going back in person to Washington, which I know Casey is planning to do. We're going to go back to doing in-person Day of Action in the fall of 2023. Not quite ready for that uh, for a variety of reasons in the spring when we'll do a virtual one. Um, Got to bring up light sale, right? Got to bring up light sale. It was a huge year for light sale. <laughs> um, yeah, this our crowdfunded light sale, solar sailing spacecraft really exceeded our expectations. We only really thought it was going to be up there for maybe a year or so, but this year it celebrated its third anniversary in orbit around Earth. And we got to put a model of our solar sail in the Smithsonian Futures exhibit in Washington, yeah. D.C., which was a really wonderful moment for us. And we got to gather with a bunch of our members there to actually see the exhibit and celebrate, which was a great moment. But of course, light sail came to an end just a few weeks ago when it deorbited and burnt up in Earth's atmosphere, which of course was something we planned for. And we actually learned a lot of great science about how to deorbit spacecraft with drag sails. So that, that was cool, but also a kind of bittersweet moment for us because our light sail mission is now over. I remember when we thought it was almost impossibly optimistic to think that it would last in orbit for a year. Well, we, we did pretty well. Okay, bring us back home. How do you want to close? For me, the biggest thing, and for you as well, is that, <laughs> Matt, you're retiring after 20 years of amazing shows here on Planetary Radio. And as we turn over into the new year, I'm going to be stepping up as the new show host. So I think that's a big moment for both of us. <laughs> Absolutely. And hopefully for our audience as well. Although we hope it'll be a, a more or less seamless transition. And I think everybody out there, you probably have just heard great evidence of why we are turning over the show to Sarah. Um, Sarah, thanks so much. Great review. I should mention that for our members and donors, we will be doing our annual review of the uh, Society's Big Accomplishments. That'll be a live webcast with uh, the boss, CEO Bill Nye, and a bunch of other uh, great folks. I'll be moderating it once again. Keep an eye on your mail. We will let you know when that's going to happen. It will probably be in mid-December. Uh, and there is an article you can look for at planetary.org that also goes through all of this. Sarah, thanks again. Thanks, Matt. Bill, Jennifer, a pleasure to have you on this 20th anniversary program for Planetary Radio. It's not the only thing we'll talk about, but I, I'm honored to have you sitting at the microphones here in the Planetary Society studio, ready to uh, talk about, well, I don't know, what, el what else would you like to talk about? <laughs> well, we've been around 42 years and you've been broadcasting, podcast, making the showing for half of that. That's yeah. really amazing, man. 
I'm going to jump in and make a slight correction because we're celebrating the 20th anniversary on November 30th. Yeah. And November 30th happens to also be the incorporation date of the Planetary Society. So it's two in one. So it's 43 years for the Planetary Society and 20 years for for Planetary Radio. I was going to bring it up if you didn't. (laughs) So just notice this is what you get by having Jennifer Vaughn as chief operating officer. She has corporate memory. (laughs) So it was November 30th, 1979. We keep saying 1980. That's yeah. like about the time somebody bought a desk or something. Exactly, because not much work happened in that last month of 79. <laughs> and I went on the payroll 22 years ago, so 21 years into the existence of this organization. And for two years, I was doing other stuff. But I had this dream, <laughs> which, you know, we're going to talk to Lou Friedman in a few minutes. and find out uh, why he let me make it real. Um, so while we're talking about making it real, when I just changed the subject back to me, <laughs> uh, when I first took over 11 and a half, some years ago, I went on for a few months, this and that, and I said to Jen Vaughn, you know, we should hire Matt full time. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I did that a couple months ago. <laughs> You were part-time, everybody. Matt was part-time here at the Planetary Society and part-time at uh, Cal State, California State University Senate. Long Beach. Long Beach. And uh, you were going back and forth, doing both, teaching video production and maybe radio production down there. I say down there, south of here. We taught a little bit, but mostly I uh, ran a television studio that had the cable channel and and did the professional production work for the organization? For you the did professional production. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I had good people. I had good people like you. I had yeah. good people, uh, and and uh, it was a lot of fun. I was part time here at the society longer than I have been full time. Still, Lou Friedman tried to get me to go full time very early on. And I kind of What went, were your responsibilities at the beginning? Oh, this and that. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of... You were working on the website. Yeah. You were writing a lot. I had no idea what I was doing. I was made webmaster the day after I think I arrived on the payroll part-time. <laughs> and I had never... I didn't know any HTML. I didn't know what I was doing because the webmaster had just left. Uh, and she was the one who had, had said, hey, you should hire this guy. And I was just going to write. I was going to do content. And, you know, maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, I was thinking of doing this radio show because, you know, who knew from podcasting back then? And um, I, I, I did. I, I commuted up for a long time. You were here, Janet. And it just what the timing wasn't right. I stayed part time at the society and went back pretty much full time at the university. And they gave me more stuff to do there, you know, community relations. And I had the IT group, which was Kind of a laugh, but I knew how to talk IT even if I couldn't do it. So. That's uh, information technology. Yeah. Yes, sir. For us old yes, sir. guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember. I'm glad this came up about the part-time status because one of the things that we just marvel at today, with you and trying to think about how do we move along with Planetary Radio without you, is that you do it all. You, you, you do are so you much, are a one-person <laughs> band. You do it all, and then to think back and think that you were doing it all. On a part-time gig, <laughs> that's amazing. I'm not sure how you're doing it on a full-time uh, position, but wow, uh, you were you were managing Planetary Radio as a part-time person. That is amazing. It's been interesting. It's we'll go been... with that. And of course, it's, it's it's developed a lot too. Your role has developed as well. So you've always had the radio show, 
but you are, you've become the the voice ambassador for the Planetary Society. So you well, are our MC. present company accepted, <laughs> I think, because yeah, I mean, we were doing an event uh, a couple of weeks ago, and somebody was so excited to see me, and I said, "Hey, you know, Bill Nye is coming. You're excited to see me. <laughs> They're excited to see you, Matt. <laughs> Matt, you've grown this audience. The people they love you. Yeah. But absolutely. the other thing that I find striking is you book all the interviews. Yeah. interviewees, yeah. and the people generally want to come back. Mm-hmm. They yeah. want to come back on they your do. show because you have you do such a good job preparing and, uh, how to say, letting them talk. <laughs> that's, that's the part I love the most. It, it's meeting and getting to talk to and share conversations with heroes every week. You know, heroes that are famous, that have walked on the moon, heroes that maybe have never been heard of outside of their own university or lab until they come on this show. And that's that's the great joy of doing this. So how did you, Matt, really what got you hooked on planetary science? How did you find the Planetary <sighs> Society? Well, here's a secret I shouldn't reveal. I was a member of the National Space Society before no, I was a planetary okay. it's society. It's a different, different bunch. And, um, and, and I did a little bit of stuff for them. We even did a TV project with the NSS. I knew the Planetary Society was out there. I don't know if I read a Carl Sagan book or if I got something in the mail. And I joined up. And then there was this search for uh, Planifest volunteers. And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I can help out. And and I ended up running all of the media stuff for that Planet Right, Fest. so that was Planet Fest 99 then. Yeah, Yeah, right. I have that's some right. pictures of you I no remember kidding. seeing with uh, running the, the AV for Planet Fest 99. This was in the Pasadena Civic Center. This is yes. Buzz Aldrin. This had Mars Polar Lander. Yeah, except on yeah, Mars, we don't know yeah. quite what it would sound like. And Mars uh, Climate Orbiter, which also... Crashed. Yeah, yeah, tough time. We still had a good time. We did. It was a great party, even though we we were we didn't know what we were celebrating, <laughs> other than just being together <laughs> being and loving together. space. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, and you asked me, you know, how did I fall in love with planetary science? I'm old. I go back to Mercury. I remember uh, running to see a, a Mercury launch, you know, to watch an Atlas take off. On, on television. Yeah, on television, black and white television. I caught the bug then and never lost it. You know, got my first telescope when I was 10. Still don't really know how to use it nearly as well as most people who have telescopes, but uh, I, I do love digging it out now and then. And it's just, I'm, you know, it's, the, it's, it's, I quote you all the time. I always credit you. The PB&J, the passion, beauty, and joy. Love the PB&J. We have been through changes over the last 20 years, 22 from my start. The organization has certainly evolved a lot. What'd you say, 11 years for you now, Bill? I think it might be 12. Yes, I believe it is 12. 12. (laughs) It was September of 2010. Yeah, so it's Mm -hmm. been 12 years. Tempest Fugit, man. (laughs) I And, you know, there were some difficult times. Really? (laughs) You would know better than me. Uh, And I am very grateful because everybody stood by, if not me, at least by Planetary Radio, uh, through thick and thin. And uh, times are— Well, the thinness, everybody. We were—had overinvested in a spacecraft, and that was not working. This would be the early versions of LightSail. <clears throat> you can't run an organization like this without some money and people working. And so we had to, we had to think carefully about where we were spending our money and redirect it. And we 
Thanks to you all listening, we found supporters who thought that the solar sail spacecraft would be pretty great. And we pulled it off. And this is after you were there for both failures, right, Jen? You were there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cosmos <laughs> 1. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I remember. We were all all living that together, waiting, <laughs> waiting for those signals that never came. Well, I'm glad you went in this direction because this, of course, is the other thing we want to talk about. We, we're, we're late, if anything, talking about this because by the time people hear it, uh, LightSail will have uh, met its demise, its glorious demise, for a couple of weeks. This is another just wonderful success story to come out of those difficult times. I think that's the word I used a few moments ago, right? To become this truly glorious success. I thank and congratulate the two of you. I mean, I'm a member. And uh, so I, you know, had that my little piece of that spacecraft. And I just couldn't be more proud of what it was able to what we have been able to accomplish. We did. We accomplished the mission. We raised uh, altitude, increased orbital energy using sunlight. We took these pictures. I keep going on yeah. about the pictures. They're astonishing. I know it's a radio show. But the light sail pictures, everybody thought they'd be good. But they're so impressive to me. And it's because of everybody listening. So uh, thank you. Thank you for supporting LightSail. We have advanced our mission, Advanced Space Science and Exploration. And the same day, maybe the same 24-hour period that LightSail burned up, Artemis One launched, yeah. carrying near-Earth asteroid scout, NEA scout. Everybody, the solar sail sailing community is a small one. Everybody sees each other at the conferences and stuff. And so Les Johnson, who will be on the podcast pretty soon. Very soon. Yeah, he finally got his dream solar sail to launch the same day that ours burned up. It's a, it's a passing of the atmospheric incineration torch. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's feel good about that. But as of this recording, we haven't heard from it. Well, maybe it'll get hit with a cosmic ray and it'll fire up. So everybody, one of the things they told me, and by they I mean the engineers on LightSail 1, it wasn't working, and we, we couldn't hear from couldn't communicate with it. And they said, oh, don't worry, uh, it'll get hit with a cosmic ray, and the computer will reboot. <laughs> and it, you know, to ex- I don't know how else to express it. Are you high? What, what do you mean it's going to get hit with a cosmic ray? Well, apparently it did. And then it did. And it rebooted. <laughs> but then on LightSail 2, everybody, Bruce and the crew, made sure that there was a system that didn't need a cosmic ray to reboot. We could manually reboot. (laughs) So near-Earth asteroid scout may, maybe by the time uh, this airs, it'll have gotten a jolt. Who knows? I sure hope so. But hope's not a plan, but I'm sure people are working on it real hard. Yeah. We nudged space exploration along because everybody thinks, this goes back to Carl Sagan and Lou Friedman, everybody thinks that solar sails have their place in exploring the solar system especially, and perhaps way, way out there beyond the solar system. Yeah, well, that's what we've always heard from Lou Friedman. Solar (laughs) sails, or at least light sails, maybe driven by lasers, the only practical technology we have for reaching the stars. And Voyager is at, what, 22 light hours? Yeah, something like that. That's what she said? That's right, that's right, that's right. Wow. (laughs) That's a long way, everybody, at the speed of light. And so uh, I'm not changing the subject. It just shows you that space exploration is where we accomplish mighty things. And that's what uh, 
Charles Alachi, who was the head of JPL for a while, liked to quote Teddy Roosevelt, dare mighty things. Yeah. It's a good motto. Jennifer, were there times uh, before we started to see LightSail 1 coming together and, and the success, troubled but successful test, were there times when you wondered whether we'd be able to achieve uh, this great success? So, so many times. <laughs> so it's uh, going back to what Bill just said, uh, dare, what'd you say? Dare, dare mighty, mighty things. things. Yeah. Dare yeah. mighty things. People, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we knew what we were trying to do was difficult, was complex, it was audacious, it was all those things. It was going to cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. And there were so many times along the way where we were at a crossroads and having to, to ask the hard questions of, do we continue? And Everybody, we talked about giving the hardware. <laughs> this is the... Cube set, uh, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 30 centimeters. Less, it really is literally smaller than a loaf of bread. Yeah. We're going to give it away to the Air Force Research Lab? Maybe those guys want it. Is there a university in Utah who would want to take it apart and see if they could make it work? This went around and around for it's, a while. It's, you you know, it's part of the job of having to question all the time. Are, are, are you the right ones to be doing what you're doing? Or, or is it really better? to be involving someone else or partnering. and So we had to examine it a lot. Anyway, this is all whiskey under the bridge, as we say in country music. But it's, uh, it's really gratifying. And Matt, you've been through the thin and then now the pretty thick. I mean, we're not out of control, yeah. but things are pretty good right now for the organization because you have engaged so many listeners. And so thank you for that. People love your show, man. You're very welcome. Uh, <laughs> takes one to know one. Uh, and uh, it's, it has been a thrill. It has been uh, the greatest professional thrill of my life. I am also thrilled to know who's coming in to take over this microphone. Oh, Sarah's going to be great, everybody. Yeah. You know, we have, was it 400 applicants? For yeah, close, I think it was about yeah, that. Something like that. Yeah. It was That's over 300 lot. for yeah. sure. That's yeah. a lot. Anyway... Mm -hmm. Sarah has the creds, man. She, um, she won fair and square. Yeah, she did. Yeah. <laughs> she and, did. Uh, she's the enthusiasm and the professional expertise, and that the thing you want is this academic experience, being a real astrophysicist, and then science communication coming from the Griffith Observatory. Everybody, if you've seen the movie, what is it? Rebel Without a Cause. They drive <laughs> the Griffith Observatory, like the real deal in Los Angeles. And for those of you around the world who've never seen the Griffiths Observatory, go on the electric internet and see where it is. It's perched on this hillside, which in the 1920s was this extraordinary way above the clouds. I use the word perch. Uh, placement it's a good word. Of this uh, beautiful facility, and she worked under all the real deal people over there, yeah. and we were able to get her to come here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Rebel Without a Cause. Don't forget The Rocketeer. Key scene yeah, in that yeah, wonderful movie. Yes. What a yeah. great movie. And I think there have been a few others. So. Is there anybody the in the space business that you haven't interviewed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you how know. many times you had Homer Hickam on, right? Oh, only a couple. Only a couple. Only a couple. And <laughs> we haven't talked to Homer in, in a long well, time. He's really, he... You know, I told, as I told... Uh, Andrean, two, three weeks ago at, yeah. at this desk, 
<laughs> at this virtual desk. I was going to say, she wasn't here. No, right? she wasn't here. All that aside. Um, I, I, my greatest professional regret, well, there are two people, Neil Armstrong, but that's an easy one to understand because he hardly talked to anybody in, in the media business. But uh, Carl, and uh, I'm really sorry that I missed out on talking to Carl. I came close. You know, I was in the same room once in 1976 as Viking 1 landed on Mars. Uh, and I've told this story. It's in my newsletter. Uh that uh, uh, here I was this scruffy college. Oh, the Viking! Guy. It was seventy six. Yeah, absolutely, it was yeah. seventy six. And uh, and there he was across the room, you know, surrounded by network people and major newspaper people, and we were these college punks. We did kind of ask, but it was clear that we just did not measure up, and it would not have been a good use of his time to talk to us. But he loved talking to everybody. When you're in love, yeah. you want to tell the world, as he so often said. So, Matt, he would have talked to you if you had time. <laughs> well, and then Anne said that thing which just blew me away and will be with me the rest of my life, that she she was sure that he'd have been as fond of me as she Oh, is. come on. So. Come on. That's fabulous. No, I heard that. That was great. That was great. Um, what does it mean where we are? I'm going back to light sail now and away from me. Where the organization is now, that we were able to achieve this, that the, what it says about this organization, that we made this happen and we're moving on to other things. Well, I, I'm actually going to bring it back to you, too, in that answer, <laughs> which I, I wanted to, to share that uh, kind of emotionally where where I've been sitting for a while with both LightSail and the recognition of this 20-year mark and the shift of uh, handing the baton over to Sarah and seeing you move into different roles. It is this moment of uh, deep pride for mm. the organization and what we've been able to accomplish. And so often you don't know what you're accomplishing in the moment. You only see it when you're looking back sometimes and you recognize in the case of Planetary Radio, how valuable it's been to people around the world, the people that you have touched and inspired and motivated to become more deeply involved with space. It's countless. We have no idea how many people you have touched over this, over this period of 20 years. It's astounding to look back on that. And I feel so proud and excited and so sad all at the same time. It really has a bittersweetness to it all. And LightSail does the same thing. LightSail outdid itself. It, it, it performed so much better than we ever imagined. It lived, it lived two and a half years longer than ever anticipated. And it's such a beautiful thing that it, it's coming to an end in the right way. And it's so sad all at the same time. And so I've been, I've been very... I've just been contemplating this a lot, I think, recently, and this shift for the organization on multiple fronts. We are starting anew. We're starting anew with Planetary Radio. We're starting anew with new projects. We don't yet know how those are going to develop, and we might not know the impact that we're having until we're looking back at it one day saying, wow, that was really good stuff. But with all that in mind and the bittersweet sweet nature of this week— uh, Matt, two things. First of all, none of it would have happened without Bruce Betts. And you have him on the show every week. Every week. And he's his, he, is his, he is a character every week. And he led the science and technology of both light sales. And, and those so cameras. Shout out, <laughs> those pictures. Yeah. Shout out to Bruce uh, or gentle voice talk out to Bruce. <laughs> this is natural. That is to say – 
I will miss holding up my phone, waving it in people's faces. Look at Lightsail. Here's the map. Here's where it is. The app. We have a. We had an online app. I mean, um, a phone app where you could see the map of where Lightsail was at any time. I'm going to miss that badly. But on the other hand, it's a stepping stone. The best I still think is yet ahead. And if you're going to pass the baton to anyone, we picked a good person. Sarah is going to do fine. Yeah, she is. You'll never be forgotten. <laughs> but it's part of the gro- growth or change of the organization. As it Jen is. and I have mumbled to each other from time to time, we want the Planetary Society to be thriving next century. Absolutely. So uh, things have to change. Change has to be built in. And you're going to have Lou Friedman on this podcast, right? And Moments. Yeah, I took over from Lou. I mean, the guy wanted to get on with his life. The organization's changed a little bit. How It couldn't help it. But that it has to change. So I'm sorry light sales burned up. I'm, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> and it does bring you to this thing. Well, what are you going to do next? What's next? Well, the step grants are pretty cool. Yeah, they are. And I just tell everybody again, yes, I want to explore planets writ large. Yes. But I thought about that interview that you went with Anne that you did a couple weeks ago, talking about Carl Sagan and his message to Mars. You guys, I want to be alive when life is found elsewhere. Oh, gosh. Please, let it be so. And if I'm not, I did my best. Yeah. And then I want to... Uh, have the Earth not get hit with an asteroid. That's a really important thing to me. As a science That's a educator. Very good goals. <laughs> uh, well, as a science educator, the, the mystery and the story of what happened to the ancient dinosaurs is amazing. It's compelling. There was no explanation for it, my, no good explanation, my whole life. Then when I, as I say, in the 1980s, I was a productive member of society, paying taxes and all that stuff. I was in the workforce when it was discovered that it was almost certainly an asteroid that finished them off. And so the only preventable natural disaster, and very reasonable to me that solar sails will have a role in finding them, going way out, looking, station-keeping with the Earth at an orbit closer to the sun than we are, and looking for asteroids. I can just see it. Ooh, I can see it. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, uh, we're, I, I, are we rambling or are we, talk, are we staying focused on the future? <laughs> this is the future. I, I, there's so much more that I'm looking forward to, and I'm glad that, you know, I'm not going to disappear. Some of the what, stuff are you going to be sticking around? <laughs> a little bit. I'll just, I'm going to camp outside. Uh, the, 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 some of the stuff that Jennifer has very kindly, generously asked me to become involved with is very exciting. Uh, in particular, some of the work that we're going to be doing with our member community, mm-hmm. which uh, people will be hearing more about soon, uh, is, is very exciting. And, you know, planetary defense, there's another planetary defense conference coming up. I know we're going to be involved it's with that. It's every two years, everybody. Yeah. I am very excited about Planetary Academy getting Oh, kids yes, involved. of course. Yeah. So I, just, I was in meetings when I first joined the board in the 1990s. Where Bruce Murray would slap the table and say, young people, we've got to get young people. Uh, it's pretty clear we got to engage people before they're about 10. And so that's what we're going to do now, finally. I'm excited. I'm so excited about the future. Yeah. You know, if only we had a leader who has uh, done more than <laughs> any other individual that I can think of to introduce well, young people to right. the, yeah. the Just people. To be a well-positioned. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. up. Yeah. 
I have seen these materials. My grandson and his new stepsister, they're going to be members. They're going to be part of the academy. And I am uh, thrilled to go through all that material with them. It's uh, going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And uh, and we're going to grow. And that's key yeah. to the future. We're going to grow. Tell all your friends. If you tell five people <laughs> and they tell five people pretty soon we'll be and huge. so on i think that's and illegal so on. i think that, that it's, <laughs> oh, telling them's not yeah. illegal it's getting their cash now we're rambling um, <laughs> i i want to close by thanking the two of you uh because of what you have done for this organization and what you have done for planetary radio we hired you full time and look you <laughs> grew it to the top brilliant percent of science podcasts right <laughs> You did that, Matt, with yeah, your diligence. Yeah, it's you. You did that. <laughs> You're finding the interviewers, interviewees, interviewing them expertly, and you did all the editing, taking all the <clears throat> out. And uh, it's, uh, it took a lot of your time for years and years, 20 years. You've been the voice of the Planetary Society yeah. so thank in you, a very Matt. personal way. So you've been part of people's lives for 20 years. Well, fortunately, the, the voices of the Planetary Society We'll, we'll carry on. Uh, year two are among them. You've proven that again just in the last few minutes. Uh, thank you both. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. A quick break, and then I'll be back with the man who gave me this dream job, Planetary Society co-founder and solar system explorer, Lewis Friedman. Hi, everybody. Bill Nye here, CEO of the Planetary Society. Everything we do, from advocacy for missions that matter, to funding new technology, to grants for asteroid hunters, and sharing the wonder of space exploration with the world, only happens thanks to friends like you who share our passion for space. When you invest in the Planetary Fund today, a generous member will match your donation up to $100,000. Every dollar you give will go twice as far as we explore the worlds of our solar system and beyond, defend Earth from the impact of an asteroid or comet, and find life beyond Earth by making the search for life a space exploration priority. With you by our side, we'll continue to advocate for missions that matter for years to come. How about powering our work in 2023? Please donate today. Visit planetary.org slash planetary fund. Thank you for your generous support and happy new year. Lou, thanks very much for being the first and, and very appropriate first guest uh, on this broadcast version of Planetary Radio. Well, thanks, Matt. I'm certainly glad to be here and certainly glad to talk about things planetary and the Planetary Society. Uh, and I really love the name, Planetary Radio, and let's hope, uh, let's make that our goal to make this a, a planetary radio show. Twenty years later, we're still trying to make this a truly planetary radio show each week. It is a pleasure and an honor to welcome back that first guest, Planetary Society co-founder and our executive director emeritus, Dr. Lewis Friedman. Lou Friedman, my first boss, the man who... Uh, first boss at the Planetary Society. Yes, first boss here. First boss of any note. Uh, <laughs> I hope my, my old boss at Cal State Long Beach isn't listening. Um, the man, though, who uh, got this started, uh, who allowed me to begin this experiment 20 years ago, almost to the day, not quite, and two years before that brought me on the payroll from being, I think I'd been a volunteer for about two months. So I guess I've owed you for at least that period of time. Thank you. 
You owe me your career. Yeah. <laughs> now I can think about how you should pay me back. Yes. Give that a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt, it, it, I'm certainly very glad I did it. Um, and as we were kind of talking at another time, I wasn't sure what I was doing at that time. I wasn't sure that planetary radio was a thing that would have any legs to it. It was an experiment for the organization. Um, and I wasn't its biggest backer. There was people on the staff who were much more, and of course you, but there were people on the staff who much more strongly supported the idea. Uh, but I think one of the things I did right was allow things that I wasn't sure of to continue. It wasn't doing any harm, that's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and it did very well. And I congratulate you on the 20 years of, uh, of uh, producing it and, uh, and doing it. Uh, it. It certainly has become terrific with a lot of legs. Thank you. I, as I said to Bill and Jennifer minutes ago, as people are listening to this, uh, it has been the greatest uh, joy of my professional life to be able to do this show for 20 years and, and meet the people that I have met because of this program. And, and it started with you. You were also the first guest. Well, thanks. Um, I also think about how I felt when I was allowed to join the organization. At least from my viewpoint, it worked out pretty well all around. Well, it was a good time for the Planetary Society. As you know, we were um, at that point, and this is all history, but we were full of optimism about the Cosmos One yeah. solar sail effort we were doing. And that was a big venture. That was the first time any private organization was trying to do its own space mission. And it had a lot of complicated interfaces with the Russians, of course, and, and we were in testing programs with them. And I think that was the year, well, 2002, I think, was the year we had our test launch with them. Uh, it was also a time of optimism about getting the Mars program uh, to recover from the 1998 uh, mission failures and, yeah. and a new and the Planetary Society had played a significant part in getting a redefined Mars program course, with the help of uh, Dan Golden, the administrator, and Wes Huntress, the associate administrator for space science, but a commitment to sustain continuing Mars exploration, which, of course, resulted in spirit opportunity going uh, a couple of years right after that. So it was a, um, it was a turn of the century, but it was also a turn of uh, a lot of things in Mars exploration for the society and the conducting a solar sail mission and in... Uh, and in your activity in getting planetary radio started. I think back even further, too, well before my time with the society, except maybe as a member, um, as Jennifer pointed out a few minutes ago, uh, 43 years on the day that this show comes out, 43 years since the three of you, Carl Sagan, Bruce Murray, and you got together and said, we need this organization. You make me think of it again when you talk about what was happening 20 years after that or 20 what, 23 years after that, when we were still in the business of making sure that NASA stayed in the business of exploration. Well, that's right. The society was formed at a time when NASA was actually the very highest level was making a decision not to do planetary exploration and to get out of it. And that's why we were formed. And that's, that was the basis of our advocacy. So that was a crucial 
time, and I, and I think we played a role in, in keeping planetary exploration in front of the nation as the program got rebuilt. Uh, it was also a crucial time uh, in world affairs. The uh, U.S. and Soviet Union were at the middle of the Cold War then, or the, not the middle, but the, and it was very early in the first couple of years that uh, we took on the challenge of international cooperation, not just as a way because international cooperation is good, but as a way of stimulating interest in planetary science and planetary exploration. The Soviets at that time were doing Mars missions and uh, Halley's Comet mission and had a space station. The U.S. had none of those things, and we were trying to accelerate our program by bringing uh, international cooperation into it, and we were very successful in that, too. And there's great documentation of this in your book. We're going to talk about your new book, too, that's not out yet, but the one called Planetary Adventures. And your your personal role uh, in all of this, including <laughs> all those trips to uh, what is now Russia, was still the Soviet Union back then. Well, Planetary Adventures uh, from uh, Moscow to Mars that I wrote is really a book that's written for you and me. It's for. It's not a bestseller. It's not. doesn't have that broad appeal to uh, the general public, but it does document in, in a way that I think means a lot to those of us in in here and uh, to uh, what what was going on in the world and what was going on in the organization at that time. And I was very fortunate, extremely fortunate, to have adventures like that as part of my job uh, here. Do you know my my colleague Casey Dreyer, our chief chief advocate, yeah, senior he, space he, policy? He, he actually uh, started work uh, while I was here, so I I brought him on too. I forgot that that was still yeah. happening. It was uh, right. uh, after we had the place on Catalina, that beautiful old house, right. and uh, we had our interim uh, facility on right. Grand Avenue here in Pasadena. in Pasadena. Right. I just I think of uh, how Casey he's the embodiment of the advocacy work that you three founders uh, began way back in 1979. And just how that role continues for the society. I mean, that must make well, you it's, pleased. It's grown a lot. And uh, I can remember the first tentative move when I went to Bruce and Carl and I said, you know, I think we need a Washington consultant. Hmm. And then we get recommendations from all our advisors. Well, you need to have a Washington office. And I said, no, we're not going to do that because people who have Washington offices get diverted right away. They, they, they get sucked up by politics. And knowing me, I would get sucked up by politics instantly. <laughs> so I said, I know better than that. So we hired a Washington consultant, and then we hired a couple of others, and we had various uh, people who, uh, who worked with us for years, and that was the extent of our advocacy. Bill Livingston was our first Washington consultant. And then, of course, Lori Garver, who became uh, deputy administrator of uh, NASA. She was our Washington consultant for a while. One of my favorite people, one yeah. of my favorite guests. Of course, I spent a lot of time in Washington, uh, in the political world, even though I was living here in California. But now you have several people here at the organization involved in, uh, in advocacy. And I'd say that it's different. When I was executive director and when Bruce and Carl were here, we didn't want it to be the dominant part. We wanted it, it was important, 
but we didn't necessarily think of it as the dominant function of the society. And that's probably good, I'm not sure, but it, uh, it, it, it's, it is a difference now. I wonder if that's, I mean, I, I'd love to ask Bill Nye or Jennifer Vaughn if they agree with you that it's the dominant part of what we do now. I'm not sure, but well, it, it's certainly have, big, right? You don't have things like the Mars rover testing and yeah. the Mars balloon testing and the, and the uh, major kind of big activities we were doing like that. And of course, ultimately, uh, the solar sail, but that was starting started in, even back in 2008 and nine and, and and continues to that day. So I think yeah. I think the projects. That, I mean, you have good projects, but I think it's it's right now advocacy is is a bigger part. Of I see the what organization. you mean. And what about the outreach side of what we do? Which planetary radio I hope is still a good example of. Sure, but there's yeah. there's so many channels that we have available to us now, which just nobody even dreamed of back we, then. We didn't. We were very proud of the planetary report, which got out. Of course. To, to uh, between sixty and a hundred thousand over its time, to and so over the years it's gotten out to over a million people in many ways. That was our outreach, of course, before the internet. Yeah, and then uh, uh, and now you have many many more other things, um, and that's a whole subject way beyond the scope of this show, Matt. With all due respect, <laughs> way beyond maybe the, sh- the scope of any such uh, show. The whole no- notion of how different it was in the days when there were four or five broadcast channels hmm. and uh, dozens of newspapers in various cities, uh, several science magazines, and there was no such thing as the Internet. Was that outreach more effective, less effective, or is, is there too much noise now? I could, I, I could argue there's just too much noise now, and it's not as effective, but I could also argue the other way is that it reaches people that it never reached before. So. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely see your point. Um, how did solar sailing fit into the mission of the society? Was it, was it there from the beginning, at least as a dream? That's a very hard question to answer succinctly. Bruce Murray, as my boss at JPL, was an enthusiast of solar sail. And when I was working on solar sail at JPL, he was like the chief advocate. He hmm. he made me go on trips with him to make the pitch to NASA management. And he saw that as a great opportunity. Of course, in the context of rendezvous with Halley's Comet at yeah. that time. Very ambitious yeah, solar so, sail. So that Bruce I- was, in, in that sense, an enthusiast. Carl was always enthusiastic about, I think a lot of people don't realize this, Carl, first place I ever met Carl was at the, as a chair of a technology committee for NASA, huh. and not as a scientist, and he was looking into the ways of using advanced technology into, into, in missions. So he was also enthused with the idea of it, but none of us had saw any practical role that the society could play in its development. And there were a whole lot of private groups in the 1990s trying to do solar sales, and we didn't have any part of that. For, there was, there was no, no clear case that it fit our mission, which, after all, isn't about technology. It's about yeah. going to the planets. Yeah. But what happened was opportunity. And the opportunity was we were working with the, the Russians— by this point in the late 1990s on a number of 
innovative ideas, including the microphone that ultimately went on the 1998 Mars mission. And in one of those meetings with the Russians, they said they had these inflatables they were developing, and they were going to—they could make inflatable booms. If we could provide sail material, they would do the all the work of getting the launch and developing the spacecraft for us. Hmm. So we had a job of just providing the sail material. Uh, well, that's something we knew how to do because we had uh, uh, actually had done that in connection with the Planet Fest uh, in cooperation with the World Space Foundation years earlier. It looked like a good opportunity, uh, and so we jumped on it. I remember Carl and I walking, I think it was here in downtown Pasadena, um, and he looks at me one day, he says, we're doing pretty good, you know, we got this, this program and we have this thing and the um, organization seems okay. You know, we might possibly someday get to the point where we could do privately funded space mission of our own. Really? This and, was from Carl. Yeah. That's great. And I said, well, Carl, that's pretty ambitious. You know, <laughs> this was. was before commercial <laughs> space flight talk and all these other things. Yeah. I said, but, you know, it, uh, you know, so immediately then, 1998 or 9, when the Russians made this thing and I talked to Bruce about it and Carl sadly was no longer with us, we said, okay. It's worth a try, and we got funding for it. We got some key funding. Uh, here's a story I don't know that you know very well. There's a group here in Pasadena called Idea Lab, uh, oh, yeah. with two Caltech uh, uh, founders, co- uh, people who were from Caltech who had founded it, and they were trying to do a private mission to the moon. Tom Seatech, who ultimately was our light sail spacecraft designer, yeah. uh, was actually their chief engineer working on this lunar mission. So he introduced me to uh, Bill and Larry Gross, and I made the pitch that uh, uh, the Russians had this idea, and if we could get a $50,000 study to see if, how much substance was behind it, you know, it, it might go somewhere. And so they said, well, okay, that sounds interesting. Well, let us think about it. Well, they had a board meeting, and on their board happened to be a guy by the name, maybe you heard of him, Elon Musk. <laughs> well, And I knew Elon because he had been very interested in Mars exploration at that time. Still is. <laughs> well, we might <laughs> argue that. Yeah, anyway. Maybe not exploration, uh, okay. but yeah. So I, um, I went up to Elon at a thing we were at, and I said, Elon, it really would help if you could push this solar sail idea with Bill and Larry Gross because – I think they'll come up with the seed funding for us to look in and whether there's any substance behind this. And Elon was interested because he was also flirting with the Russians to figure out if they could do launch vehicles for his idea for private Mars missions. So he said, oh, maybe. And he did. And so Elon was, I give him a little credit for pushing the idea with them. And we got the study. And the study came back quite positive. We took a couple of us, went over to Russia. Uh, Bud Shermeyer was a key key guy, and uh, uh, Jim Cantrell and I, and we went over, and uh, we were impressed with the with what we thought would be the good work that that could be done on the on the spacecraft, and we came back with a positive report. Unfortunately, the people, the person who took over as CEO, at anyway, he didn't want to do it, and so we had to come up with other funding, and uh, but we did, and that worked out, and of course. 
among our great funders on on, Cos on the whole Cosmos One effort was Annie yeah. Andruian and Cosmos Studios, and she got behind it, and that, that made the whole thing a go. I am still very proud of my windbreaker, my Cosmos One windbreaker. Oh, I almost wore it today. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought about it, too. Yeah. It has a wonderful Cosmos yeah. uh, Studios logo on it in, in addition to some others. I had never heard that story about Elon, that yeah. Elon Musk helped get and us And, you know, he the, joined the board. He was on our board at yes, the Planetary Society for several years as well. I, I still remember with tremendous fondness uh, and with great pride that day in 2005, even though it didn't come out the way we had hoped, right. it wasn't the spacecraft's fault, um, uh, when we were all in the carriage house at the old headquarters. Lucky you. I was over there. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd say lucky you, you know. with your satellite phone in your hand no, on that No, that was that not ship. the satellite phones. That's, that's, oh, that was 2002. The satellite phone and the on the ship was the 2002 launch oh, of the test flight. Of the test flight. In 2005, I set. was in Moscow at the Mission Operations Center. Boy, that shows you how bad my memory is. But yes, we were talking to, we were in touch because that was the control center for the right. mission in that old carriage house, 100-year-old carriage house, <laughs> at that time 100 years old. Right. And I, as I said, I'm still very proud to have been part of that. And I do wonder if it had not been for that Cosmos One effort, would we have gone on with this revolutionary idea of doing it as a CubeSat, which you also got underway? I'll tell you that story, too, because I came back from Russia very unhappy. Hmm. Of course. Not just unhappy, because I've, I've had a lot of missions you know, associated with. I know about missions failing. I, I was at JPL when the Mars missions failed. I, was, I, I saw delays on missions. I, I know that didn't bother me, but but what bothered me is there was some flim-flam in our launch vehicle situation that yeah. I write about in Planetary Adventures. Yes. I won't repeat it here. Yeah. So I was pretty unhappy, and I came back, and I said, we're not going to do this again. No, it is, you know, first of all, we don't have a plan to do it again, and we're not going to do it again with under the same situation. Everything's different. Furthermore, the Japanese had already launched Ikaros, and so I knew we wouldn't be the first solar sail. So I was kind of negative, and Charlene was pumping me up. Uh, Charlene, Charlene Anderson, Anderson who was our, uh, uh, direct, uh, no, our editor of the Planetary Report. And your deputy, uh, right, as executive yes, director? Yes, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we um, we talked, and then everybody was saying, we got to try, got to try. And Anne Druyan was, bless her heart, she was strong. We'll keep, ra we'll raise money. I know this. I'll try this. I'll do that. And so what was I going to say? No, no, we're not. <laughs> so... Uh, and then, out of the blue, uh, the folks at Marshall Space Flight Center call us up and say, Nanosail D failed, hmm. it, also on launch, from a NASA launch. And ironic, isn't it? Marshall folks called us up and they said, well, Nanosail D, we have a spare spacecraft. If we give you the plan planetary site, if we give you the spare spacecraft, you're pretty good at getting launches, maybe from the Russians, maybe from the French, or maybe even, you know, commercially here. Uh, would you take the responsibility of launching it? Because we, our program is being discontinued. Hmm. So I thought about it for a day. I talked to the staff. I talked to the board. And I called them back. And I said, yes, we'll take it. We spent nine months talking to them. And they never could figure out how to take yes for an answer. <laughs> Uh, they never could figure out the transfer mechanisms, and then they decided to give it to DOD or something like that. I don't know what wow. happened. But meanwhile, 
Jim Cantrell, Tom Svitek, and I were meeting, going over to the nano sale, and we said, you know, this is just nothing more than a CubeSat. It doesn't have a radio. It doesn't have cameras. It doesn't have a good attitude control system. So it's not that good a spacecraft. We could do that. We can build the cubes. We can get a CubeSat and build these things ourselves. So that's what led to the decision to do LightSail. And the road ahead was still long and hard. Now, here we are speaking about two weeks after the end of that LightSail 2 mission. Three and a half years in space, in orbit, constantly reoriented itself, proving that uh, a solar sail, even of the scale of a CubeSat, that could, be, could raise its orbit uh, uh, as it circled the Earth, um, I sure hope that you take some pride in, in all of this, this long, long road that led to this success. Pride and humility, I mean, because I didn't predict anything like this. I predicted, you know, it would have a few months in, in orbit, it would do its little energy maneuver, and then it would be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't think of it as a resilient spacecraft. We thought of it as a fragile spacecraft. Mm-hmm. We also knew that it was at donated mylar sails that we had to do a lot of deployment tests on. We knew it was built in a small facility up in San Luis Obispo. And there was a lot of things that we, you know, had to make. We were doing it as not an amateur effort. Well, in a sense, an amateur effort, uh, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but by professionals, but a privately funded effort. So I never predicted it would be this resilient and long. And uh, so hats off to the team that, that, that did it and the team that uh, uh, operated it and everybody else. I was talking to Dave Spencer just a week ago about it, and uh, it's a, it, it, re, it remarkably well. Also proved something about solar sails that we didn't know when we first got into business. Both Icaros and LightSail, the only two solar sails that have ever flown missions, uh, solar sailing missions, worked longer and better than expected. Yeah. They were resilient. Space is benign once you get up there. You have to get up there and you have to, this was the long, arduous road that you referred to. But once you get up there, if you have a good vehicle, it, it's uh, it's fairly benign. And it, and uh, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from LightSail. Uh, one of the disappointments, not disappointments, one of the jobs remaining to be done, if I can still task the Planetary Society to do anything, is they got to do better at getting the word out about it. It's not that well known in the professional community. I had a leader in the space agencies come up to me and say, did that light sail ever fly? Oh, my goodness. This was really? just a, a few months ago. Um, I have I go to meetings now. I'm doing some work already now in a different area, but also involving solar sails. And they show pictures of Neoscout, and they show pictures of NanoSail, which is not a solar sailing vehicle. And then they mention the Planetary Society is doing one also. But this is the one with results. And it hasn't hit much of the professional community, uh, engineering community, the way I think it should. So I, that's a job to be done. Uh, okay. I'm just the radio guy, but uh, I'll, I'll pass it on. And, and, and so interesting that we may have done a better job with the general public than we did within the space That's community true. Because the general public doesn't know the first thing about Neoscout or yeah. nanosales. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they do know the, the light sales. And yeah. The leadership here will tell you, just as I told people in my day, 
our constituency is the public, not the engineers, yeah. and that's correct. And I'm, so I'm not I'm not saying anything is being done wrong. Don't don't misunderstand that. I'm just saying I want to see it more recognized technically. I'm with you on that. Um, there's one more thing I want to bring up regarding solar sailing, light sail. And that is the guy who has been the program manager for quite a few years now. You were just in his office, and he was updating you on light sale too. It's Bruce Betts. Why? Because he's another guy that you brought into the organization. You know, he could not be prouder of his uh, his project there, light sale too. Well, that's great, and uh, and give credit credit is due. Again, I. Yes, I did bring him into the organization, but again, it wasn't my idea to bring him into the organization. <laughs> it was Bruce Murray's idea to bring him into the organization. Ah. Bruce and, and and Charlene at that time too, advocates of of getting that kind of uh, help, and and Bruce was known and very good. And I always say uh, about myself, I never have good ideas. I know what to do with other people's good ideas, and that's what I think my strength was. It sounds good in principle. I'm, I probably would only say I think I could name a couple of good ideas that originated from you. But hey, even if you're right about that, that's something to be proud of in itself. You have another reason to be proud. You have a new book coming out, which I know next to nothing about because I searched the internet. There's no word about it yet. What, what is this book and when and where are we going to see it? Well, it's going to be published a year from now. It's being published by the University of Arizona Press. Ah. Uh, I just got the page proofs today, so I know it's oh, real. Congratulations. Uh, and uh, the uh, uh, title of the book is Alone But Not Lonely, Exploring for Extraterrestrial Life. And I have also got the very good news today that a very dear colleague of mine, Mae Jemison. Oh, yeah, of course. Is writing the foreword for the book, and she's written it. Oh, that's and lovely. I just read it today, and so I'm in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we picked the right day for this conversation. Yeah, and anyway, the uh, but the book is Alone But Not Lonely, and it started out in my mind with a negative thought. I was going to, because of solar sailing, I used to think that solar sail was the segue to interstellar flight. Mm -hmm. But I, as I got into the subject more and more deeply, both from a point of view of what solar sails can do, but also what laser sails, which was going to be the way to do interstellar flight, could do, I realized that's just not the case. Laser sales, there's an effort by Starshot, they sure. call Starshot Breakthrough, Starshot. Breakthrough Initiatives. And I'm on their advisory committee, so I'm supportive of the study. But think about it. The mission they came up with can send one gram, not one ounce, nothing as big as one ounce, one gram to the nearest star, not to the desirable star, not to the best exoplanet, not to the most habitable exoplanet, just to the nearest one. So one gram to the nearest planet, it takes a 500 gigawatt laser operating on a farm in the southern hemisphere to do that. And so you can't go to, it's not a way to explore. It's a way to do a one-shot mission, and, it's, and at that, it's one gram that'll pass by that planet at 20% of the speed of light. 20% of the speed of light. 20% of the speed of light, it's probably not going to see much of anything. So I realize that's the best interstellar flight can do. That's not the future. 
Meanwhile, I got working on a project with uh, Slava Turashev at JPL, looking how the solar gravity lens, uh, which is caused by the bending of light uh, as it goes around the sun, comes to a focal point. If you fly at that focal point, which is really a line, a focal line, you can magnify an exoplanet by 100 billion times. And that's the way to explore exoplanets. So that's why the title of the book is Alone. We're not going to get there. I don't think, I think also that there's no likely ever discovery of intelligent life in the universe. But what we do know, or what we're pretty sure of, the universe is teeming with habitable planets, and we have a lot to learn there. And so the whole book is basically, starts out with the negative idea about interstellar flight, and the negative idea about no other intelligent life in the universe and comes up with a whole new field of comparative astrobiology, mm-hmm. studying exoplanets for the different forms of life that are in the universe. And haven't you been working the last few years on concepts that could get us out to that focal point on that focal line uh, using sail technology? Yeah, so that's the- where the solar sail work has come in. I'm state, state active in that. I've been consulting with JPL and Slava Turyshev and the Aerospace Corporation on that, yes. And I'm going to have to dig up the uh, coverage that we've done of this in the past with you and Slava. Uh, and we'll put those links on this week's show page. At well, I think you were at the NIAC and you interviewed him yeah, in, in sure connection did. with the NIAC study. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That this he, was this funded by NIAC, right. the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts uh, group that you uh, have uh, advised, right? For, right I'm for on their external years. council. Yeah, yeah. Um, exciting stuff. Lou, I don't know who you'll be talking to about that book when it comes out in a year. I hope it will be me, <laughs> but it could be my replacement, Sarah. Uh, oh, Sarah yeah. Alamed, who is just going to do a terrific job carrying on this show. Uh, I doubt that you've met her. Yeah, I don't think I have. Yeah. Well, you yeah, will. Okay. You will. And I think you'll be pleased. Good. She certainly represents my hopes for the future of this organization, the organization that uh, that you helped to create those 43 years ago. Well, that's today. great. I'm very proud of this organization. It's uh, it's like a baby that's grown up and, uh, and now is uh, doing things that different uh, than I might have, but that doesn't matter. They're doing they're doing great, and uh, uh, and I'm very proud. Thank you, Lou. Thanks for getting it all underway. Okay. And by the way, thanks for, again for the job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enjoy your retirement. <laughs> Such I should have is. said that to you. Enjoy your retirement. <laughs> they're going to keep me busy here. Yeah, they're going to okay. keep me doing this. All stuff. right. We're back with Planetary Radio and. Dr. Bruce Betts. Bruce Betts is the director of projects for the Planetary Society. We actually had a little trouble deciding, you know, how how do we introduce this guy? Because he's done a lot of things and continues to do a lot of things. Bruce Betts, welcome to Planetary Radio. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Of course, we we hope to make this a regular thing because uh, this segment, which is at least tentatively called What's Up, not to say what's up, Doc, because, you know, somebody else owns that. But what's up? Because one of the things we're hoping you're going to be able to talk about every week is what's up? What's up in the sky? And we're going to talk about what's up in the sky in a moment. But I think you've also got a little bit of space history for us. I do indeed. This week we're lucky enough to have a truly unusual uh, space history note. 
On uh, November 30th, 1954, in the state of Alabama, a 10-pound meteorite slammed through a roof and uh, hit Elizabeth Hodges in the stomach while she slept. She was okay, only bruises and scrapes, but it does represent one of the only times uh, in known history that a meteorite actually hit a person, fortunately for her, after coming through the roof. Bruce, I just played the first time I introduced you for What's Up back there in... uh 2002, November of 2002. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> you'll have to listen in. So- no, I fooled you before earlier today. I listened to the whole show. Oh, because I knew you were going to try to be tricking me. There's no fooling him. He's the chief <laughs> scientist of the Planetary Society. What's up? Oh, there's so much up in the sky. I'd love to gush about our anniversary, and I will. But first, Mars. So Mars is uh, is getting closer to Earth, uh, their orbits, and so the closest approach of Mars to Earth this time around is on December 1st. And those of you may know the opposition, the opposite side of the Earth from the Sun for Mars is December 8th. Those indeed can vary and not be the same date by uh, up to two weeks because of the elliptical nature, particularly of Mars's orbit. So anyway, go out and see it. It's uh, almost as bright as Jupiter. It's brighter than the brightest star in the sky because it's at opposition. It'll be rising around sunset in the east and setting around sunrise in the west. It's that really bright reddish thing. And there are all sorts of bright stars in its area, but nothing as bright as Mars. Well, unless you catch it when the moon's nearby. Uh, And in fact, let's talk about that because... Uh, we're going bold. For our 20th anniversary, I'm going to discuss something that uh, I may have discussed before, but not giving you directions. That's an occultation of a planet by the moon. So the moon will pass in front of Mars, as seen by most of North America and most of Europe. If you're on the southeastern side of either of those, never mind. But if you're not, uh, you can check it out. You can learn more about how to do that. Uh, if you go to planetary.org slash night hyphen sky and then follow the link to the things that are up in the night sky this month. And uh, we'll give you some links to find out exactly what time on the night of December 7th into the 8th, it will be disappearing and then reappearing. Binoculars will help with checking that out so you can actually watch it disappear behind the moon. We also have Jupiter and Saturn up in the evening sky in the Geminids meteor shower, but we'll come back and talk about that next week. It peaks December 13th and 14th, all sorts of stuff going on. <sighs> Happy anniversary, Matt. We move on to this week in space history. I will mention the same thing I mentioned in that very first show. 1954, Elizabeth Hodges becomes one of the only people in history known to be hit by a meteorite. <laughs> a a right. se- several kilo meteorite crashed through her roof, fortunately slowing it down and just caused bruising. But um, yeah, it's like, how'd you get that bruise? Oh, I got hit by a meteorite. Yeah, okay, sure. (laughs) And a couple other quick things. 1998, Unity and Zarya modules were connected starting the construction of the International Space Station. 2014, you know that Orion capsule that's out hanging out around the moon right about now? Uh, Its first test flight with no humans, of course, first test flight was 2014, eight years ago. On to Random Space Fact to Matt, Random Space Fact to Matt, Random Space Fact, Random Space Fact, Random Space Fact, Happy Anniversary, Matt. (laughs) Here's where I get to to talk about you. Over its 20-year history, Planetary Radio has had more than 1,000 unique shows. 
Matt has a thing about not feeding out repeats, so there have been hardly any in the history of the show. It airs on over 100 radio stations last I checked via podcast, has a gazillion people listening. I just checked, has over 1,100 reviews on iTunes with a 4.8 out of 5 average. Hmm. I expect you to improve that over the next few weeks. I'll do my best. Every single show. This is the amazing thing. This just doesn't happen out there for normal people. But for our Matt, he produced, edited, hosted every single show. He did everything except for those of us who drop in and blather with him and the talented guests. He did everything. You're you're awesome, Matt. I'll never say that again. (laughs) Once is enough. Dang, you're recording. Shoot. Let's go on to a terrific 20th anniversary contest. I asked you, what would be an appropriate gift for a planetary radio? I thought I'd change the pronunciation now. Planetary radio, 20th anniversary uh, for uh, weddings, 20th anniversaries. It's it's China, traditionally. What, uh, what, what did we find out? We found out all sorts of great things, Matt. I've read through them myself, and uh, it's, it's one of those cases where it truly is too bad we only can read a few on air because they're cool. That is so true. We got tons of great ones. We apologize. We just don't. It's already a long show. We just don't have time for uh, more than three. I will get us started. This one came from Devin O'Rourke in Colorado. Here goes. I'll do my best. Although it isn't celebrating matrimony, I suppose a good gift could be a mattress or maybe a ticket to the matinee. A good match could be some aromatic tomatoes or... I believe that's tomatoes. (laughs) You say, yeah, never mind. Light scale schematic, really none of this matters. The real gift has been unmatched talent of the ultimate host of Plan Rad. I just wish I could remember his name right now. <laughs> Thank wow. you. Wow. That's very impressive. Yeah. You take the next one. We move on to this one from Mel Powell in California. He suggests a t-shirt that says in big letters, go out there, look up in the night sky and think about, and then in smaller print, every single one of the things I have told people to go out there, look up in the night sky and think about for 20 years. But wait, <laughs> He didn't forget you and a planetary society themed door mat because you know, Matt, you probably have never heard that before. (laughs) You know, what's cool about this. I have a doormat that says, hi, I'm Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Mel. All right. Here's the last of the ones that we'll read. And it happens to come from our poet laureate in Kansas, Dave Fairchild. Back in the decades, 2002, that's back before podcasts were cool, a guy named Matt Kaplan decided to host a session that took us to school. We learned about planets and random space facts with Bruce as his trusty sidekick. So if you are thinking, so if you are thinking appropriate gift, I'd go with engraving a brick. And why, why have we chosen this for self-serving reasons? You want to explain? Yes, uh, if you'd like to uh, memorialize someone like Matt or someone you actually like, uh, you could, I kind of make up for saying nice things earlier. You can uh, go to uh, somewhere on planetary.org. You can probably put a link in, but go uh, check out how to buy a brick that will be installed with your words on it and probably at Planetary Society headquarters, either that or Matt's 
backyard. No, I think we'll stick with headquarters. I got one uh, for my family. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of them out there. there. Uh, walk all over them. Um, we're going to get for all three of these guys. We set up a Voyager T-shirt from Chop Shop, ChopShopStore.com, where all the Planetary Society merch is. Great place. We're going to give each one of them, all three of these guys, a uh, Voyager mission T-shirt. So uh, congratulations, one and all. Congratulations. Shall we move on to the next contest, Matt? Yeah, let, let's do that. Well, I wouldn't want to leave the 20th anniversary behind quite yet. Planetary Radio is now, I can't believe it, 20 years old. Earth years. How old <laughs> is Planetary Radio in Mercury years? Ooh. In Mercury years. I mean, approximately. You don't have to get the fraction of a year. But uh, like we say, ages on Earth. In Mercury years, go to Planetary dot org slash radio contest get us your entry by let's say by december 7 wednesday december 7 at 8 a.m pacific time and uh, you might just win yourself hey we've only got a few more of these to go at least during my uh, tenure here how about a rubber asteroid a kick asteroid rubber asteroid from the planetary society Ooh, very traditional very nice i like it very much Bruce has already given me the greatest anniversary prize anybody could hope to get. He gave me, and I, I think some other people may have been involved, correct me if I'm wrong, a, a, yes. a montage, a whole bunch of wonderful still photos uh, from my 20 years of planetary radio. And you are featured in many of them. And there is a story behind almost every one of them. Maybe we'll figure out a way to present this in a tangible way online. I absolutely love it. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the top to the bottom of my heart. I really loved it. I have a, a 20th anniversary gift for you, but it's taking longer to get it made than I thought it would. So it may end up being a last show Matt Hose gift uh, oh at the gosh. end of December. In the meantime, I hope you will accept this bar of meteor shower soap that I am showing to Bruce <laughs> right now. It says, get impact crater clean, feel airburst fresh, scrubs away particles of Halley's Comet. And in the ingredient list, after all the legitimate ingredients, it says, may contain material from the quadrantids, lyrids, etaquarids, perseids, orionids, leonids, and or geminids. <laughs> Wow. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I am both touched and a little bit scared what what actually <laughs> is in that. But uh, for you, I will consider having, taking a shower at some point. No promises. I'm glad to hear that. And so is everybody else who comes in contact with you. Uh, our audience doesn't need to worry about you showering, but you should probably <laughs> call this to a close. All right, everybody, go out there, look at the night sky and think about 20 years of planetary radio. Thank you, and good night. That's what I'm thinking about, and 20 years of doing What's Up with the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts. Bruce Betts with What's Up, what we hope will be a regular feature here on Planetary Radio. We'll end as we began this special 20th anniversary episode with the close of that first show. By the way, the woman you'll hear was my then 17-year-old daughter, Laura. Thanks so much for joining me on this 20-year trek across the solar system and beyond. I'll be back next week with astronaut and former head of NASA's science mission directorate, John Grunsfeld, 
Ad Astra. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everyone. Planetary Radio is a production of the Planetary Society, which is solely responsible for its content. Our producer is Matt Kaplan. Other contributors include Charlene Anderson, Monica Lopez, and Jennifer Vaughn. The executive producer is Dr. Lewis Friedman. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the society or this station. This edition of Planetary Radio is program number 0201 and is copyrighted by the Planetary Society. All rights are reserved. Your questions and comments are always welcome. Write to planetaryradio at planetary.org.